All right. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Doing all right? Excellent. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, if I've not met you. And normally I preach with like a headset, but today that's not working, so I'm using this, but it might end up down here and you might not hear me, so I'll try and keep it up in the right spot, the whole message. But we're actually starting a new sermon series, and it's called, it's entitled, Come Let Us Adore. And this series will lead us all the way up to Christmas, because each year Christmas brings this opportunity for Christians to center their imagination on the coming of Jesus. This is actually called Advent. It's this expectant waiting and preparing for the birth and the second coming of Jesus. So the coming of Jesus is good news for the world, amen? And so there's this series, we want, to, we want us to feel the weight of Christmas and as well as enjoy the beauty of who Jesus actually is. So what does Christmas mean to you? For some Aussies, it means going to the shops and having to buy gifts and trying to deal with all the crowds. For other people, it's, it's going on annual leave or finally getting the chance to take an afternoon nap. Who frosts an afternoon nap? I just absolutely love afternoon naps. But for others... Christmas is this aching reminder that we're actually exhausted from the year or we, we can't afford gifts or it's this time of, of feeling loneliness and isolation. But no matter who you are, most of us come to Christmas every year with these really great expectations, right? But often though, we find that our expectations far exceed the reality we actually experience. And this might be a clue to the fact that there is another way to enjoy Christmas, and we believe that if we focus on Jesus, focus on the real reason to be thankful and joyful at Christmas time, then the season will never disappoint us. And the real reason to celebrate is because 2,000 years ago, the King of Kings and the Savior of the world was born. And today I want to look at Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ or the Messiah was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler, one who will shepherd my people Israel. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this season that we're leading into, God. We thank you for this time where we can, we can direct our focus on you, correct our hearts in the right direction to focus on you, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you would help me preach this, Lord, with grace and truth and love. But Lord, that they wouldn't look to me at the end, they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. So who enjoys Christmas when you're a kid? Like that Christmas time, you just can't wait to get out there, right, and unwrap those presents. Like there's this, this excitement in you, you can barely go to sleep, you get up early, and you just want to get out there and unwrap your presents. And one of the greatest presents I ever got was a Ninja Turtle figurine. Who's down with me on the Ninja Turtles? Come on, a few of us. I just love Ninja Turtles, right? And I couldn't wait to get one of these figurines so I could just play with it. And I remember just unwrapping it and like the breath went out of me. And I was like, oh, I got one. 
It was just absolutely amazing. Turn to the person next to you and tell them your favorite gift you got as a child at Christmas. I can see a lot of people laughing and a lot of people smiling. It brings back joy, right? It brings back this feeling of excitement and joy. You got something you really wanted. But then I became an adult. And, and that never really changed. Instead of having kids' toys, I just got big boys' toys, right? Like surfboards and wetsuits and things like that. So it was still excitement coming into Christmas like, cool. You know, what's my wife going to get me? Or what's my girlfriend going to get me? What, what are they going to get me? This is awesome. I can't wait, right? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. Anyway, I don't have a wife and a girlfriend, just to be clear. So I couldn't wait to get the big boy's toy, right? But then I became a Christian at age 33, and, and things shifted away from what am I going to get to what am I giving to my wife and kids? I, I found more joy in giving than actually receiving. And then I worked out that Christmas actually wasn't about me. It was about someone else. And we believe as a church, we actually need to redeem Christmas for the gospel. If we look at Christmas now in the Western world, it's all about consumerism, right? It's all about getting the next and greatest thing. It's about what am I going to get from my family and friends. It's about going out and enjoying parties and drinking in the afternoon summer sun with your mates over a barbie. It's all about going on holidays to that destination you've been saving up all year to get there to relax. It's about just enjoying your leisure activities like golf and surfing and all the things you like to do when you're not working. But here's the thing. These things are not bad in themselves, but they're temporary. They're fleeting. And they're unable to fulfill our desires. Just think about it, right? You get the new iPhone or you get the new Apple Watch or you get the new thing. In six months' time, it's outdated, right? <laughs> they bring out another one. And you're like, oh, okay, this thing that I really wanted just didn't last. There was something else that come and superseded it. Think about your time off. You're on this holiday that you've been saving all year. You've spent all your savings and you get to this destination and a few weeks in you're like, oh, work is looming. Oh, I've got to go back to work. And it's this feeling that, that nothing kind of fulfills our desires in this season. And if that's all Christmas is, then we'll be left wanting and disappointed. But there is one thing at Christmas that's eternal and never disappoints and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason why I say we need to redeem Christmas for the gospel is because people are more open to the gospel at this time of year than any other time of the year. Like, think about it. It's so easy to invite people to a carols event, like our Christmas events on the 19th and Christmas Eve, than any other time of the year. It's so easy to talk about Jesus and the reason for the Christmas season to our family and friends because people are open to that. And you might have heard me at the start that I mentioned Advent. And you might be sitting there thinking, what's Advent? Why does Advent matter? Well, Advent is the season of the year leading up to Christmas where Christians prepare for the festive season by focusing on Jesus. What it does is it positions our heart in the right direction for the season we're actually stepping into. The word Advent itself just means arrival or an appearing or coming into place. So Christians often speak of the advent of Jesus Christ, the, the coming of Jesus Christ, the first and the second. The first is when he came 2,000 years ago, and he was born of a virgin, and he came to redeem humanity through the cross. But then Christians also believed in the second advent of Christ that we look forward to, that Jesus one day will return and destroy evil and set up a new heaven 
and a new earth. So Advent is seen as this time to prepare our hearts for the Christmas story, for the eventual return of Christ. And then one of the most common traditions involved uses evergreen wreaths and branches and trees. You'll see churches and homes, they decorate with the the wreaths and stuff like that because that is meant to signify or symbolise the life that Jesus brings. So the New Life Family Churches, we decided to do an Advent series leading into Christmas to get our focus on Jesus because he's central to our faith. And this is why it's good news for all humanity, right? Because he came and died for us on the cross. And in doing so, what we do is we actually raise our excitement for the Christmas season. We raise our excitement to share the gospel message and we raise our anticipation for him coming again to redeem all things. Many of us come to Christmas like, ugh, Christmas. But as Christians, we actually should be excited because it's a declaration of the gospel. But the strange thing is, in the narrative of Jesus' birth in Matthew 2, there's not just excitement of his advent, of his coming to birth, but also fear. What I want to do is I want to look at these two different responses or reactions to the advent of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Now, Matthew 2, it says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes, the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. Why was Herod troubled or fearful? Because this is the issue in the human heart. We want to be king. We actually want to rule and reign. We want to make the decisions. We want to do whatever we please. We want to control our destinies. We want people to submit to us. We don't want to submit to anyone else. We want to have the final say. We actually want the power. You see, it's a power grab. And in this moment, Herod is told by the wise men that the king of the Jews has been born. This king that has been promised in the Old Testament, the king that was promised to come and destroy all of God's enemies, the king was to come and save all of God's people, the king that would actually sit on the throne of David forever and ever has been born into the world. And Herod, for Herod, this is a threat to his kingship, to his power, to his position, to his worth, to his identity. This was a threat to his rule and reign. And the response of Herod was actually to inquire from the religious rulers who knew the Bible, who knew the prophecies, where's this Messiah going to be born? Not that he could go and worship him like the wise men, but he could actually go and kill him to take out the threat. But an angel came to Joseph to warn him and says, Now, when they had departed, that's the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the child to destroy him. So what Joseph does, he takes Mary and Jesus, and they flee to Egypt, and they stay there until Herod dies. And then they bring Jesus back, and they return into Galilee, where they live. You see, Herod wanted to get rid of this threat, to his power and authority. And in fact, if you read on, he actually makes an order to go out to kill every single child two years and under in the region of Bethlehem and the regions around there as well. Slaughtered every kid two years and under. Herod was so desperate to hold on to his throne and his power, he was willing to go that far and slaughter all those kids. 
Do you know this is a natural state of the human heart infected by sin? When the Jewish people would talk about the heart in the Old Testament, it's not like the heart that we talk about where it's pumping, you know. They're talking about the innermost being of a person, the centralmost being of who you are. It's your soul. Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's who we are deep, deep down, not the person we put on, the front we put on out here. It's who we are inside. And the problem with that is our heart has been infected by sin. Through the fall, we have an infection of sin and it's corrupted our heart. And in every one of us, there's this desire to sit on the throne of our own hearts. In every one of us, there's this fear that Herod felt, an unwillingness to surrender our position to Jesus, to lay aside our authority and come under the authority of a king that's not of ourselves. And you might say to me, Scott, oh, come on. I'm not like Herod. Yes, you are. So am I. There are areas in my life that I want to be the ultimate authority on, like what I do with my money, what I get to love and like, what pleasures I get to enjoy, what I do with my spare time, who I get to hate and gossip about, who I get to forgive and not forgive. And I make all of these decisions considering, without considering what Jesus actually commands me. And every time we do that, we're just like Herod. We're living our lives as if we sit on the throne and we have authority to make decisions with no judgment from a higher authority. So what the human heart does is it tries to kill anything that might stop us from having the ultimate authority. Therefore, we try and dismiss the word of God. We try and dismiss Jesus' teaching on money, on greed, on sex, on pleasure, on relationships, on forgiveness. And we go as far as to even dismiss the truth of the reality of God and his authority. Alyssa Wagner says, people love to quote that Jesus is love, yet they neglect to mention that he is also king. If you love the king, you will obey him. Yet we try and kill anything that would suggest that there is a king and the need for us to submit to that king. This has been the the story throughout the entire Bible. You go back to the beginning of the Garden of Eden. We have God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and they reject God. They go against his command. They come out from under his kingship and they try and be their own kings. And then we look at the time of Samuel where we have judges over Israel and, and God was their king. God was sovereign over them. And they reject God and they go, give us a human king. We want a king like all the other people, all the other nations. And they reject God and they want their own king. To the time of when Jesus actually come. The king of glory comes, the saviour of Israel comes and, and they reject him. To the point where they actually murder him on the cross. To now, where atheism is more accepted and believed on than any other time in human history. And you might be thinking, what's atheism? Atheism is the belief that there is no God. And here's the thing. If you kill that idea that there's even a possibility of God, then you automatically become king. You become the ultimate authority and you have no fear of judgment for your actions. But Psalm 14.1 says, For the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You see, the human heart is just like Herod and it's looking to escape the reality that we're not king, that God is. And church, can I tell you, we, we need a king. Do you know we're actually created to have a king over us? If you look in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God said, don't eat of that tree. 
We were created to have this close, intimate relationship with God and walk with him and trust him that he would rule and reign over us. And when we ate of the tree in the garden, we said, no, thank you. We want to be like you. We want to know the difference between good and evil. And we rejected God. And that's where sin entered into the world. And what we do is then we, we try and set ourselves up on the throne so no one can tell us what to do. And for about 3,000 years, the common thought was God was king for the nation of Israel, that people would come under God's rule. And then God himself unified all the Hebrew people under Moses and told them that as long as you follow and obey me, put me as king, put me as Lord, then I'll bless you and guide you. In Deuteronomy 11, we read, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of your Lord that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord and turn from the way I command you today by following other gods, which you have not known. God says, if you come under my kingship, if you come under me as Lord, then there is a blessing there. But as soon as you come out from under that and you start worshipping other gods, then there's a curse. Things aren't going to go great because you've not come under my rule and reign. And the problem is, not only do we come under other gods, we even set ourselves up on the throne and say, there are no other gods. I'm going to assume that position. But in the time of Samuel the prophet, the children of Israel rejected the Lord as their leader and they actually demanded an earthly king. And so Samuel comes to the Lord and he's just crying out to God going, they're asking for an earthly king. And this is what the Lord says to Samuel. And the Lord told Samuel, listen to all the people are saying to you, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And because of their hard hearts, God allowed them to have temporary earthly kings. But what this did is it led to bondage. It led to their destruction as a nation. Multiple times they were destroyed because of what the kings did. And it highlights the reality that the king they wanted was not the king they actually needed. All the kings, they were hopeless, right? They all stuffed up. They all oppressed the people in varied ways. They all fought for power and authority. And some would even go to the point of murdering family and friends. And so God allowed us to rule ourselves in the Old Testament that we would learn that we can't do it. That the problem of sin is too great for us to overcome in our own strength. God wants us to see that we are in desperate need of a king, but we need a king not of this world. We actually need a saviour king. And that's why Jesus prophesied so much in the Old Testament. God wanted humanity to have hope, to let them know that he had a plan that a king would come to save them from the problem of sin, that he would be the king we actually need and desire. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says, For us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I love this. God prophesies that we were to get a king, that he would come, a child would be born into the world that would come and, and bring hope. That the government would be put upon his shoulders and he'd able to be actually able to, be bet, to bear it. And it gives you these beautiful words of who he is. He's wonderful. He's a counsellor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. 
and on David's throne, where all the earthly kings have sat, this child, this Jesus, would come and sit, and where all the kings have failed, Jesus would succeed. And in Isaiah 53, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid him on him the iniquity of us all. So we have this king that's going to come, and he's going to establish his throne forever, but it's a servant king. It's a king who lays down his life for his people. And all of our sins, our iniquities are laid on him. So we see that we need a saviour king. That all our attempts to sit on the throne, to rule and reign, they've failed. And the human heart is still wanting to hold on to power, just like Herod. So Christmas, this Christmas story, the advent of Jesus to some is a threat. But to others, it's excitement and celebration. And we see the second response in the wise men of worship. This is the other side of the coin. You see, the, the wise men, they accept Jesus as king and they go and search for him. They go to submit to him. They want to lay their gifts at his feet and lay on their face and worship him. In Matthew 2, 9, it says, Then they departed from Herod, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. <clears throat> we see this one response from Herod is, is fear and is trouble. And the other response is this exceedingly great joy, this excitement that they would finally see this Messiah that was prophesied throughout the Old Testament, that the Messiah had come to seek and save the lost, and they fall down and they worship him. And they, and they give their gifts to him. They give what they have to this baby child. The question is, are we excited? Are we excited about Christmas? Are we willing to lay our gifts at the feet of Jesus and say, God, use me however you desire? Do we fall down on our face and worship him? You see, Jesus is the only king who ever lived worthy of worship. You examine Jesus' life in the Gospels. You find a Jesus is the only king to rule and reign in righteousness and love and perfection. Jesus is the perfect picture of what a king does. You see, a true king comes to serve and love the people. And human kings across history have ruled over people, have oppressed people, and the people have had to provide for them and serve them. But King Jesus comes to serve the people and provide for them a way out of sin and death. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. We see that in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what a king does. He lays his life down for his people. Stuart Greaves says, the only way Jesus can be our king is if we allow him to be our servant. You know, it's like that picture when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples and Peter's like, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. I should be washing yours. And Jesus says, unless you let me do this, you have no part with me. We need to humble ourselves and be willing to be served by the King of Kings. This is the King we needed. This is the King that our heart desires. Search your heart. 
Would you want a king to oppress you? Or would you want a king to follow who comes to serve, to set you free from our greatest enemy, which is sin? This is the whole point of the gospel. The message that starts at Christmas, the incarnation of Christ, Jesus coming to seek and save the lost. That God himself wanted to come and put on human flesh to stand in our place that when he went to the cross, he lived the perfect life, that all of our sin would be laid on him. That he would die the death that I deserve, that you deserve. That he would lay his life down for his people. That's the king. And sins cause us to be spiritually dead, totally separated from God for eternity. But the king of life comes and takes upon that sin upon himself to die our death, what we deserve, that we would be forgiven and washed clean from our sin and restored back into relationship with God. Jesus is the eternal king. He took on the penalty of sin. He took on the weight of your sin and my sin, the pain of sin, the separation of sin, the shame of sin, the guilt of sin. He took on the judgment of sin through the cross. The eternal, all-loving king was adorned with a crown of thorns and executed for you. And here is the beauty in the gospel, that when we repent and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are justified by his sacrifice. What does justified mean? It means we have right standing with God. We have sin. We don't have right standing with God. Jesus pays for our sin, and now we are justified through Jesus' death on the cross. We have right standing with God. That leaves us in a place where we can have relationship with him. But we need to repent and put our faith in Jesus, what he's done, not what we've done. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love this. It says, he is faithful. Jesus was faithful to come and die in our place. And it says, and just to forgive us our sins. How is God just to forgive us of our sins through Jesus' death? Because Jesus paid it all on the cross. God is just to wipe away our sins because he lived the perfect human life. He was fully God, fully man. And it's like at this time where the judgment is coming down and the executors are pointing their gun at us and they shoot and Jesus steps in the way and takes the bullet. We are justified in the face of God. And because we're justified, we get to live with God for eternity, free from sin, free from pain, free from suffering, free from that shame and that guilt and that judgment to live forever in the beautiful presence and the love of God. What better king can you describe to me than King Jesus? What better king could you want or need? What better king could you want to to guide you and direct your life? What better king is there to submit to? What better king is there to worship? What better king is there to sit on the throne of your heart? You see, the wise men in Matthew 2 knew of none. And they came and threw themselves at the feet of the only perfect true king. And that's King Jesus. So, what will your response to the news, the advent of Christ the birth of Jesus be? Will you be like Herod and try and secure your position on the throne? Or will you be like the wise men and celebrate that the king has arrived and throw yourself before him in praise and adoration and worship? Does the band want to come up? Advent is this season where we celebrate the reality of God himself coming in the human flesh. He was born of a virgin to save humanity and because Because Jesus humbled himself and died on the cross, 
He forever reigns as the ultimate king. And Paul teaches us that in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul says, have this mindset as you walk into Christmas. Have this mindset as Christ Jesus, that even though He was God, He didn't hold on to that power like Herod did, but He humbled Himself and came in human flesh, even to the point of letting His own creation crucify Him. Death on the cross. The King of glory comes down in human flesh. And he continues, he says, Therefore, because Jesus did that, because the all-powerful King of heaven humbled himself and did what no other king could do, died for the all of humanity, it says God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. And at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love this. Because He did what no one else could do, God has exalted Him above every other name. There is no name above the name of Jesus. And every person or everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth, I love that, in heaven, all the angels, all the seraphim, everything in heaven will bow to Jesus. Every single person living on earth, whether you're a billionaire or you're the most famous person ever, will all bow their knee and claim that He is Lord. And every single person that has lived throughout history, all the famous people that have done amazing things, they will bow the knee as well. Every single person will bow their knee to King Jesus. And in Revelation 19, we see the second coming, the second advent of Jesus Christ. John says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We see Jesus' absolute power and authority written on his robes as he returns. The idea of Jesus being King of Kings and Lord of Lords means there is no other higher authority. His reign over all things is absolute and nothing can stand against him. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now in the words of the great theologian Elvis Presley, he says, I'm not the king. Jesus is the king. I'm just an entertainer. Can you make that same confession today? I'm not the king. Jesus is the king. I'm just a pastor. I'm not the king. Jesus is the king. I'm just a teacher or a plumber or whatever we do. The question is, who's seated on the throne of your heart? Is it you or is it Jesus? And the question is, do you know the King today? Do you know the King of glory? Turn your attention to the screen.
the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king.